0: You know what? Uh, at the time, uh, we were doing probably around um, just about a million of daily active users, maybe 800,000 when I when I joined. Uh, I don't remember exactly the metrics, but it, w- it was around there. And the stack at the time was uh, it was this uh, hodgepodge of um, custom Java development, mishmash with Ruby on Rails services. Um, very monolithic, and uh, Joel calls me and, and he's like, hey, you know, I think chat is down. So imagine me, I think it was Christmas Eve or, or something like that. I'm in the, in the parking lot, Big Bear, uh, Starbucks, and I'm literally going through our repository and, and looking who's made commits to our chat core. And I'm looking these names online, Googling them to try to find uh, phone numbers and I'm calling these people to try to get some help. I feel any any lead or manager, director or VP needs to focus on and that's operations, that's uh, culture and technology. You know, I have a very firm no asshole policy. So that toxicity needs to be uh, watched for and, and it needs to be managed very quickly because it doesn't take long for just even one person on a team to be so damaging that you start losing people. I would say that you can make your own luck, you know, and you could say, hey, you know, you're lucky that uh, I'm working in this company, or I'm lucky because I got this job, or I'm lucky because of something happened. I think that having an understanding how you want to grow your set and, and career is something that everyone should pay attention to. A lot of people don't, and they just kind of go from one job to the next. But uh, you know, you can actually steer that, right?
1: Hello, and welcome to the DevEye Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Perone, and here I decode engineering experts behind some of the most complex, high-performing, and scalable stacks to find out what technologies they love and use, what challenges they face, and what the real life is like behind the code. All right, Lucas, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Everything is good. Everything is good. Uh, Grinder: 3.2 million daily active users. That's correct. Amazing. All right. Well, let's start at the top. Why did you choose to work at Grindr? You know what?
0: Uh, when I was approached um, by Grindr around four years ago, I didn't know much about the platform where the app was. And uh, once I started um, researching very quickly... I realized that um, this was a platform that was already global, that was serving, um, you know, underserved group of users and was able to provide a service that allowed them to connect with each other. And that is um, very interesting in itself, very interesting engineering problem. Um, Doing that on this global scale is, is another. But also, when I started talking to the, the, um, Joel Simkai, who is the founder of the company, you know, he really wanted to make sure that we start investing in engineering. Grindr, at the time, had a lot of stability problems. Um, you know, they, they struggled with uh, being able to push out features very quickly. So the challenge was to not only focus on the right technology to scale, globally, but also to build the right engineering team to be able to move quickly. And that was the challenge that I was actually looking for at the time. And uh, I ended up uh, joining the company in October of 2013.
1: Okay, great. Uh, What were the the major events that brought you to join Grindr? Career-wise?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that um, it's an interesting question. So, you know, When I look at that, I sometimes think, uh, what makes someone ready to take any challenge, right? Um, You know, I felt pretty strong about being able to take on this one, because when I look at my career, it has been kind of the steady progression. I I started in the 90s, late 90s, you know, just developing at the time, uh, first e-commerce systems and, and trying to take some of these companies to the web and, you know, I, I was kind of down in the trenches during the um, e-commerce boom, and then worked through the crashes, and and joined a couple of startups, so I worked for big companies, small companies. So I, I've kind of uh, seen all the different ways to kind of run engineering and and develop software. So by the time uh, Grinder approached me, I, I've had a various different experiences, good and bad, on different sides of of the engineering organization. So I felt um, pretty strongly about, you know, being able to to set up a a good engineering organization. And, uh, you know, I I was also very opinionated about what a good engineering uh, organization looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, uh, you know, just so it happened in conversations with Joel, uh, he also shared that vision. And he just needed someone to implement it. So.
1: Okay, so today Grinders at three point four million daily active. Three point two. Three point two. Around there, yeah. Okay, three point two. Uh, when you joined in two thousand thirteen, what did the stack look like? What was you, the low that you were that you were doing? You know like?
0: what? Uh, at the time, uh, we were doing probably around um, just about a million of daily active users maybe 800,000 when i when i joined uh, i don't remember exactly the metrics but it w- it was around there and the stack at the time was uh, it was this uh, hodgepodge of um custom java development mishmash with ruby on rails services um very monolithic uh team at the time spent um a lot of uh i think before i joined the 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 team spent close to two years trying to build this new stack um, and uh, unfortunately you know they invested some time in um, building things that they were they were already solved for. So I can give you an example. When I joined there was this uh, geospatial cluster powering the geospatial search and it was this custom implementation of the open source geospatial algorithm written in java that was running extremely hot um i think 150 instances in, in amazon and uh it was very unstable going down all the time so so one of the things that we've done um in the first literally couple of months we replaced that with uh you know mongodb at the time uh so we migrated all the data sets necessary to power that thing to mongodb and and uh, partner with mongodb at the time and and we went from you know running this custom thing on 150 instances to, to running Mongo on like 24 instances. So, so there was a big win there cost wise, but also stability and and predictability. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not a very big fan of building things uh, from scratch uh, when, when you already have tools, either commercial tools or open source tools that are solving for these things, right? There's plenty problems to solve and, um, you know, it's challenging sometimes when you uh, manage engineers to make sure that uh, they don't work on like this, you know, uh, engineering web dream project to kind of implement something that's very, very cool, maybe. Uh, but that's, you know, that's already been solved for.
1: Right. Okay. What are some of the craziest back-end development challenges that you faced?
0: Um, so, I, I think it was just the massive and rapid growth of the company, uh, the, the DAU count, um, you know, this is mainly organic growth, right? And, uh, it's amazing to me because, uh, you know, we, we have just created a marketing, uh, department about a year ago. Um, so, you know, regular things like, you know, user acquisition and, and kind of managing that funnel and, and going out there and, and actually, um, Making sure that you do all the right things in terms of email campaigns and engagement campaigns to kind of bring the users to the app and, and keep them there. Uh, that is a recent thing for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the growth really happened through the the word of mouth and and because of the amazing service that the app provides. Right. Um, the biggest challenge for me was uh, how to replatform a system. Right. How how to uh, do it in a way so you invest into these next-generation technologies while also keeping the the service up, mm-hmm. right? And that's not easy at this kind of scale.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, is there any specific event that comes to mind?
0: Uh, you know what? Um, I keep talking about it uh, with uh, some of my friends and also developers here. You know, my second month at Grindr, um So I joined uh, on Halloween 2013. Um, and... Uh, Silly me, I planned my Christmas in Big Bear. And, uh, you know, my mom flew down from Toronto, Canada. My sister flew down from Toronto, Canada. And and we, you know, they, they enjoyed the sunshine, but they said, okay, let's see some snow and let's go to Big Bear. And silly me, I thought that, you know, this is going to be just a nice holiday. And uh, on my way up there, you know, we're just maybe 30 minutes away from the cabin. Uh, I still have cell reception and, and internet and uh Joel calls me and and he 's like, "Hey, you know, I think Chad is down. Mm-hmm. so you know, I went to a cabin and I dropped my family and and then uh, you know i didn't have really good internet, so I grabbed my laptop and I drove down to Big Bear, and I started squatting in the uh Starbucks uh parking lot, mooching off their internet." <laughs> And I'm like, you know, and and, and we're trying to figure it out. And uh, at the time, there was just a handful of guys um, at the company. There was this consulting, a couple of consultants somewhere in the basement, literally a couple of guys uh, helping us out. And and then just we had maybe four developers in-house. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to bring the chat up and uh, it, it it just would not come up. Right. So. So imagine me, I think it was Christmas Eve or, or something like that. I'm in the, in the, in the parking lot, Big Bear, uh, Starbucks, and I'm literally going through our repository and, and looking who's made commits to our chat core. And I'm looking these names online, Googling them to try to find uh, phone numbers. And I'm calling these oh, wow. people uh, to, try to, uh, you know, to try to get some help and we finally you know i was able to finally connect with the guys who who actually made some modifications there and and you know they connected me with um our current partner you know erlang solutions um and those are the guys uh in poland they have they have a group that is very skilled at erlang and uh, you know our chat stack is erlang based so so they were able to help us out and and you know bring things up but those are kind of the worst stories that i would say would happen uh, you know, over the first nine months while I was a grinder, it was all about kind of trying to stabilize the patient on the table, stop the bleeding, you know, focus on some key metrics, uh, like uptime and time to resolve issues and, um, and start slowly introducing these basic engineering processes in place to, to start growing the, a good engineering shop.
1: Okay. Uh, what does
0: the stack look like today? So today we are on a um, a version of Stack that is primarily powered by um, microservices. So uh, we've got a whole bunch of REST for microservices. Uh, they're exposed uh, through you know a Stack that uses Cloudflare as our CDN, and you know that we use that for both dynamic and and static acceleration of various different uh, endpoints. Um, also for security Cloudflare is is amazing uh security wise and then uh you know that assists with all the geo routing and and uh, you know we, we recently implemented something called argo from Cloudflare, which is this um smart routing uh global routing where they constantly detect uh, any sort of congestions on the internet and and they are routing your traffic um, to kind of reduce the latency around the world, and then the stack uh, is powered through uh, various different uh, microservices that are essentially written in Java, and they sit on top of this uh, Akka-based framework, uh, and Akka is Scala-based. So all the RESTful um, APIs are, are pretty much, uh, you know, Akka framework. The business components are written in Java, and uh, we are we're leveraging heavily. Redis um, through Redis Labs, so Redis Labs is another partner of ours. We are actually now uh, working with them to optimize that caching layer, because you know our our cache is pushing uh, around half a million ops per second, which is crazy. So we are doing some optimizations there, and then we're using Elasticsearch heavily, and then uh, we've recently you know migrated uh, pretty much all our storage to Aurora. Uh, we see um, amazing uh, performance from Amazon Aurora. And then on the uh, chat side, uh, the chat side is powered by uh, you know uh, Stateful Connection, uh, and that is powered by XMPP, and uh, the main engine there is is Mongoose IM, which is this Erlang-based uh, chat server, and that's kind of what's powering our uh, real-time chat. So you've got really two sides of the coin. So you've got real-time chap, and that's, that's Erlang stack. And uh, that's a you know, high-concurrency type of appliance. And then uh, RESTful services.
1: Okay. How big is the Redis uh, cluster?
0: Uh, you know what? I, uh, I don't know from the top of my head, but um, last time we were looking at it, it was that, uh, I think it was like this multi master, uh, multi slave deployment with, I think, around 24 slaves and uh, a couple masters in the cluster, and there was a proxy in front of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now we are actually migrating, so we're splitting that into multiple smaller databases. So the thought is that uh, each microservice should have its own. Caching database uh, and then uh, uh, have its own storage. So the the direction that we're going to is is essentially over the next six months, we're gonna split that massive database into probably twelve smaller ones. And each of those then can be tuned uh, better because then you can kind of see the utilization pattern behind each uh, API and say, hey, this is, this is maybe high read, high write, and, and it's a very different type of tuning that you need to do or you can do versus, let's say, transactions that are maybe, you know, high read and low write, right?
1: Right. Okay. It seems like you're writing this on uh, Amazon. Is that, is that right?
0: that 's correct so so we used to have our chat appliance in rockspace on uh, dedicated hardware for a while. Uh, one of the problems that I encountered when I started um, was this um, you know chat would go down because of the Underlying Amnesia database and and uh, you know in Amazon at the time three four years ago these net splits would happen and and Amnesia is just not very happy with that and the whole thing would just uh, get into a state where it was unrecoverable so we moved our chat to dedicated hardware on Rockspace um, but since then uh, you know the 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 stack um, I mean the the latest upgrades on the Amnesia side and us I am made that stack much more tolerant to net splits and also Amazon has gotten much much better when it comes to their availability so we've uh, recently moved all that stuff into Amazon and, and now we, we've consolidated and all services are actually running on Amazon
1: Okay uh, How many how many instances are you currently running on Amazon?
0: Uh, you know what It's um, so I think all in total if you were to just kind of count everything Uh, It's probably 800, but uh, production is probably running on on around, um, you know, 200, 250 instances of various different types. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, everything else are our, you know, development environments and and QA and load test environments. And then, you know, all the kind of ETL and and data science uh, jobs, all that type of stuff.
1: Okay, cool. What was the decision like to move... To Amazon Aurora specifically, it sounds like you're using something else before that, and
0: yeah, so we had this hodgepodge of various different stuff. So we had um, we we're using RDS, and we were using Dynamo, and we we're using um, MongoDB, and uh, there has been a lot of experimentation about uh, you know possibly using Cassandra or, or, or MariaDB and, and Percona MySQL. I mean, we we kind of looked at a whole bunch of different stuff and. Uh, Aurora came out and uh you know we we kind of put it through the paces you know the combination of the performance and also the low maintenance of necessary to keep that infrastructure Uh, In place, uh, you know, made us decide that we should consolidate. So we actually migrated a lot of our uh, databases away from you know MongoDB and Dynamo and and all the different hodgepodge of different storage, and we kind of consolidated on Aurora. And uh, you know, in addition to Aurora, like I said, we're using also Elasticsearch, and and uh, you know, that's powering our. and geospatial cert, uh, queries, and we also use um, Redis as this write-through cache for all our services.
1: Right. Okay. It seems like there's some unpredictability in the events that can suddenly like throttle up usage, right? Like, gay pride events. Yeah, a yeah. sudden like event of people meeting together, like in in any kind of like urban center can you talk about that a little bit sure. and like what that looks like on the stack
0: uh, Absolutely so so uh you know we we most of the time we enjoy pretty steady traffic so you know we are not a necessarily a bursty application right this is not like let's say uh, StubHub or or Ticketmaster, where they they've got some sort of a ticket sale going on, and and they go from zero to hero in like a couple of seconds, right? And and the the infrastructure right. has to scale. Having said that, though, we do have you know various different events that happen. So you know like June is all Pride throughout the various different countries. So we do have to prepare for that. And, uh, you know, we, we rely on uh, Amazon and, and uh, uh, the Elastic Load Balancers to kind of take on that load. Um, but having said that, you know, uh, ELBs are not very good at bursty traffic. Uh, so we do actually have a uh, mix of Nginx, um, you know, software-based um, load balancing uh, in front of some key services that, that tend to get bursty. Uh, and mm-hmm. that works out much better, yeah.
1: got it. What does the engineering team look like here
0: uh it it's uh you know every every quarter when you ask me that question it's it's a different <laughs> answer uh, so the 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 probably the most exciting thing about this place is that um you know we 've been evolving and uh, growing like crazy. so I mentioned when I started there was you know a handful of guys here, maybe the the whole team in office was four people and maybe two, three additional consultants, right? And uh, now we have a team of close to 80, 90 people geographically distributed. Uh, And all the team uh, is actually organized now into these full-stack delivery teams. And we've got essentially nine delivery teams. Each team is kind of like a mini startup within Grindr, um, they have their own business mission. They have their own business KPIs that they're driving, and uh, each team is composed in a way so uh, they have all the functional uh, knowledge to be able to execute without being dependent on other teams. So, uh, you know, a team could have iOS developers, Android developers, backend, uh, DevOps, uh, QA. They may have some designers, you know, and and. And they really operate very independently. Uh, and the idea is that we want to reduce that friction between the teams and enable them so they can kind of move fast and innovate and, and kind of deliver on their
1: mission. Mm-hmm. Okay. We spoke earlier about some unusual events or external forces that have enabled you to kind of recreate the stack. Uh, specifically about in some, some countries or some like groups that are targeting... Game in through grinder, can you speak a little bit about that?
0: Sure, so you know one one thing that I realized very quickly when I started working here was that we have a very big target on our back, and uh, you know people tend to forget that in in the u s or or in europe we we enjoy a great deal of liberties um, that we that we just take for granted um, and uh, you know you don 't have to look far. And uh, there are countries where being gay is uh, considered against the law or, uh, you know, it's being, um, you know, shunned. Uh, you know, we don't have to look far. Russia is a good example. Then if you go to Middle East, mm-hmm. you know, you've got uh, uh, Egypt and then um, there's a lot of also countries in Africa where, where, where being gay can be, uh, can be challenging. So when it comes to grinder and security and making sure that we provide service while protecting our users you know that working here takes it to a, a little bit different level i can tell you that as part of the replatforming of our stack we we've spent a lot of time investing into um, security on, on the client side and the the mobiles uh, i mean the, the you know how data is transmitted between the client and the back end also you know we we spend a great deal um, making sure that uh, you know we we try to hack ourselves so we partner with third parties to do quarterly security audits but also we've created a red team inside of our organization and and you know uh these guys report directly to me and and you know all they do is try to hack us every day uh wow. to kind of um you know elevate our our stance uh and right. reduce the attack surface
1: how important is failure in uh, engineering um so <laughs> 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 moving on <laughs>
0: right well without failure uh, we wouldn't be where we are today uh, i think from the very beginning uh, one of the goals that I set for, for our company was to build a, a culture where you know, we have emphasis on learning and, and you know, failure is not punished. So you know, my, everything that, that I do today and, and working with our management team is to make sure that uh, teams are able to fail fast, uh, learn from that, and then uh, you know, uh, grow stronger. That needs to be part of a culture and it cannot only be on engineering. That has to also be recognized by the executive team. And, and you know, my job as a CTO is to, to kind of carry that message and, and educate everyone. Um, so it's, uh, by now, it's a big part of our culture to be able to mm-hmm. fail fast, learn from it, and then improve.
1: Got it. Um, where have you yourself failed as an engineering leader? And what have you learned from it? Wow, all these tough questions. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a uh, dead by I know, right? Not a walk uh, in
0: the park. Listen, so so there there's been some uh some decisions, uh, you know, looking back on the last four years. Um there are some decisions where, you know, uh, thinking back, uh I could have done uh some things differently. So So I think the biggest one that's always on my mind is, is, you know, the decision that uh, we've made to replatform our clients. So, you know, in the first nine months when I was here, we, we pretty much knew that we needed to replatform the backend and then the cloud architecture and all that stuff. And then also, um, we, we realized that we needed to replatform our clients, um, in order to, uh, you know, have a better security core and and uh, and structure of the app better, so the teams can actually move faster and independently. So um, we actually decided to do kind of like this big bang approach, and and at the time we we said, okay, we can do it in six to nine months, and uh, you know, I, I sold it to our founder. And, uh, you know, he was like, OK, you know, if, if this is g- how, how long it's going to take, you know, we're just going to kind of hunker down and we're not going to be delivering any features. You guys need to replatform the client and and then we'll, uh, you know, the promise was that once we're done, then the, the clients are going to be uh, much, much better. We will have all the, uh, you know, the the code coverage in place and all the different tools in place to be able to move fast. Right. Mm-hmm. So and and that project essentially um uh, took a year and a half and uh it was tough i mean um, a a big bang rewrite like that is is always very challenging as the months drag on and uh you know you're bogged down in in this effort and you're not really delivering value to the customers you know uh it's getting tougher and tougher so in a hindsight i think i would i would take a different approach and and essentially do that effort with incremental as an incremental refactoring, mm-hmm. uh, which would probably be much harder and uh, it would have taken longer. But I think uh, we would have gotten to a same spot in terms of uh, the stack and stability and security. Uh, but at the same time, we would have been able to, um, you know, also deliver some features to our users. So there was right. there was a time of essentially year and a half where. Uh, where uh, you know there was no new functionality, and and from the you know perspective of being competitive in the market, you know that was that was that was a wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if I had to do this again, I I would probably take a different approach.
1: Right. What is the impact of of bad apples like on the team, and how do you deal with that? Bad apples, as in, yeah, you know, a situation could be like mm-hmm. you, you have a very talented person. Yep but he's not vibing well yeah. either with his teammates yeah. or with manager. So so, on. so
0: listen, I, I think, um, as an engineering leader, um, you know, there are really three aspects that I feel any, any lead or manager, director, or VP needs to focus on. And that's operations, that's uh, culture and technology. Right. And, uh, and and there's a different blend depending on where you are and what you're doing you know you may be doing maybe you know 80% tech and and then 10% operations 10% culture if you're maybe just a, just a lead right your your focus is very technical right. um i can tell you that um i kind of evolved through being here from the very beginning my focus was very technical right I was still writing code. I was still involved in the cloud architecture and actually, you know, making stuff happen. Uh, and over time, as the team started to grow, it, you know, my role started focused focus more on operations, which, mm-hmm. which is, hey, you know, what processes do we need to have? What kind of metrics? What kind of tools? How are we going to... Organize ourselves in a way so we can actually do it right, and mm-hmm. and then and then as the team grew, uh, you know, my focus then uh, became more and more in, on culture. So so now uh, the main function I think is is you know I still I'm I'm very much involved in technology and operations, but the reality is we have a very good team that drives those. You know, I'm kind of a culture watchdog, right? right. So so I'm very much still involved in hiring. Um, every single person, and uh, you know, people that I look for are are these jack of all trades but masters of few people who are extremely collaborative, uh, because I've seen what happens when you hire uh, someone who is not a good cultural fit, right? um not a good technical fit is is uh is much less damaging than than having someone who is not a good cultural fit because right. because on the technology side that stuff is easy you can always uh, learn from your peers you can always start pairing you can go to some training or whatever cultural aspects are driven by so many different factors it's so fuzzy and squishy right but, um, you know, I have a very firm no-asshole policy. Uh, so I don't hire and I let go of people who come here and and, and become, uh, you know, very abrasive or start controlling information or right. uh, they're not collaborative and, and uh, they're kind of becoming very toxic to the team. So that toxicity needs to be... Uh, watched for and and it needs to be managed very quickly because it doesn't take long for just even one person on the on the team to be so damaging that you start losing people.
1: Right. Yeah. What does it take to be a successful engineer here? Um,
0: I think number one is uh, being open minded and being uh, being very curious. Right. Um, you know, I I, I probably value, curiosity, and, and uh, you know, willingness to experiment and learn new things uh, more than anything else, right? Because that sort of thing, uh, that kind of trait allows people to adapt very quickly. And, and uh, you know, if they're put in an environment that fosters innovation, uh, amazing things start to happen right? Uh, so, you know, successful engineers, a grinder, you know, they definitely have that trait. Another thing that I, I want to say is, is that, you know, no ego, right? So I, I have no ego. Um, when I see that uh, someone has a big ego, uh, you know, they tend to be an asshole. And, and that's so and, and that, that, you know, my job right now is to be honest, to watch out for, for those people in the interview process and make sure that, that they don't work here.
1: Okay. what does the first hour in your day look like?
0: You know what? Um, I commute pretty far to work, so I, I try to throw in some gym time, so I, I usually get up early. Uh, I'm up by 5.15 15, uh, and you know I go to the gym. I'm, I'm done by by seven, so you know I would I would wake up, start my day with a glass of water with some lemon juice and and hit the gym. Uh, clear my head. I make sure breakfast? that um, you know what I. I would uh, just uh, have a um, uh, shake after the the workout, and that's my breakfast. Nice. But I I try to not check news and emails until I'm done with with the gym. Because uh, I if I if I pick up my phone and start uh, looking at the emails and, and news or whatever, I, I usually get sucked into stuff and and right, aggravated, it never and it it just doesn't work.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How do you deal with um discouragement and distraction? Both personally and also like in your professional life? Yeah. It goes I, both I, ways. I
0: I think that um you know, my my approach sometimes is just brute force. Um and something that, that just works for me is, you know, I, I, I do I do goal settings and and I I try to, uh, before I go to bed, I actually write out some things that I want to accomplish next day uh, on a piece of paper. So Mm -hmm. um, uh, that is my way to kind of keep myself uh, focused. you know, uh, when I said brute force, I, I would just say, hey, this is what you need to get done and get it done and, and just push through. Is that is that a
1: natural thing for you or is it something no, that you learned?
0: No, it is not. This is something that I've learned from from various different people. And, um, you know, I, I constantly look for tools that allow me to operate at the higher level. Uh, you know, I actually, I love reading books like, a, I'm reading right now, Tools of the Titans uh, by R- Tim Ferriss. Very good one. Yeah. Right. So... I found that as um, as I progress and as the team grows, uh, you, you just have to keep developing yourself because if you're static, then then the organization or or life starts outpacing you, your ability to deal with right. things, and that's when things get hairy. Right.
1: right. How do you? I mean, you, it seems like you have a tremendous amount of responsibilities, and also like the challenge of dealing with fires when they come out. It's it's. <laughs> It's a real right. issue, but right. how do you find time or how do you balance your own personal interests? We mm-hmm. could talk about a few of those. Mm-hmm. And also like your own relationships outside of the heavy workload that you have.
0: <laughs> so, so listen, I, I think that uh, the, uh, I would say first two years at Grindr um, were very difficult. Um, I mean, I, I, I can probably say, you know, this was like a 12 to 15 hour commitment for the first two years.
1: That's intense.
0: Um, and during that time, you know, there was really no personal relationships. It was all work. And, um, you know, I managed by doing some sailing on the weekends or just, just riding my motorcycle. But I don't, uh, in hindsight, you know, I, I, I never want to repeat um, something like that. And what do you mean
1: you don't want to repeat? So,
0: I, you know, um, I, I think I, I just overcommitted myself at that time right i i should have found a way to maybe work less and 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 delegate more and and maybe hire better people or or more people uh you know i at that time i i think uh, i was more in the mindset that you know if i don't do it then it's not going to get done right
1: mm-hmm.
0: right uh, and and that is something that uh, i needed to learn unlearn right unlearn and and just empower your people, uh, empower the team, uh, trust, develop that trust, right And because then that allows you to do other things and, and kind of uh, look beyond the fog of war, right? And today, you know, today things are actually very good. You know, it comes down to stability, right? I mean, if, if you're fighting fires every day, then then it's very difficult to, to kind of look beyond that. Uh, you know, for over a year and a half now, we've been in a place where, you know, our uptime is around three nines, sometimes uh, four nines mm-hmm. uh, every month. Um and even outages that we have, the way that the systems are structured now, it's like it's never fully down. It's maybe, maybe a, a one microservice has an outage, and the the app is designed the way so that functionality just kind of steps down, and mm-hmm. but everything else still works. So to the users, is less visible, right? Um, so things have have been much better. And um, you know, as far as personal relationships, um, I don't know if we should talk about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to talk about that but like how do you find the balance i mean are you is there a certain time of the day when you shut the computer off and you focus on the things that are important to you whether it's people or motorcycling sailing reading yeah. how, how do you yeah, yeah, yeah. how so, do you get so into I, like a workflow mm-hmm. where you can uh, focus
0: it. so so listen I, I i compartmentalize my my day so um you know i plan my day in uh, probably 30 minute increments uh, when when i'm at work uh and then after that i also have set time where i do my you know i have my reading time and and uh uh you know i i have the time scheduled for where i where you know i would catch up with my family on the phone or whatever so mm-hmm. um you know i i tend to use uh google tools and everything to just kind of help me organize my day and then i try to stick to it mm-hmm. uh, where where the wheels come off the bus is when when we have uh, something unexpected right? right so if there's an outage or, or something happened or whatever that's when the plan takes a back seat and that's when it when it gets difficult okay yeah
1: cool let's talk about motorcycling
0: yeah, let's talk about motorcycling. What is it? <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, I uh, It's just, I don't know what it is. I, I got into it um, uh, probably five years ago. And um, it was due because uh, at the time I was working in Santa Monica and, and I lived in Long Beach and a uh, friend of mine was like, hey, you know, you got to get a motorcycle because otherwise you're going to be sitting in traffic. And, and I, um, I uh, took on the um, rider safety course and I got my first motorcycle and I started riding and I just I just love it. So uh, there's something about it where you're just on your motorcycle and, and you, you go and it's that freedom. Um, that you have mm-hmm. uh, I actually commute most of the time by, by motorcycle from Long Beach to West Hollywood which is uh, which is pretty interesting in the in the rush hour in LA um,
1: i one of these guys that's weaving through the traffic
0: you know what I'm, I'm one of those guys that tries not to do it but uh, the reality is that you, so tempting ca- you kind of have to um, uh, but I never go you know balls to the wall between the cars that's just uh, that's accident waiting to happen yeah
1: mm-hmm a few more questions for you. Sure. Being a successful engineer, it falls between like a spectrum of like luck and pure skill and expertise. Mm-hmm. How important is luck in the career of any engineer?
0: I, I would say that you can make your own luck. Um, you know, and you could say, "Hey, you know, you're lucky that uh, I'm working at this company, or I'm lucky because I got this job, or I'm lucky because of something happened." I think that a lot of that, uh, you know, having an understanding uh, how you want to grow your set and, and career is something that everyone should pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't and they just kind of go from one job to the next, but... Uh, you know, you can actually steer that, right? Mm-hmm. You can spend the time to go to meetups and and uh, you know grow that professional network and make the necessary relationships that that enable then the growth in the future, mm-hmm. right? And that's important, you know. As an engineer, when when you're getting that first job and and you're starting out, you know, you, you over time you get a you have to develop those relationships, that you, and ideally you want to know. Um, what do you want to do, right? What what type of things you're good at, what type of things excite you and and do something that you feel passionate about every day. Otherwise, uh, it gets boring.
1: Is LA the right place to pursue a career as as an engineer? Absolutely. I I think
0: um, LA is a very interesting spot uh, because you've got... Uh, you've, we've got the Silicon Beach. Uh, we also have tech distributed throughout the South Bay. Uh, and you've got a, a very diverse ecosystem of various different companies. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to work in healthcare, you can. If you want to work in automotive, there's a lot of automotive going on. Um, uh, same with insurance. Uh, if you want media, there's a lot of media companies. Uh, we also have. Uh, you know some hardcore engineering companies here, um, so you know you have a you have a wide range of various different companies that you can align yourself with, and uh, it's not as techy or it's not as uh, in your face like let's say San Francisco, right? Uh, so it's it's a little bit uh, you know it's it's maybe a little bit uh, more laid back.
1: Okay, is L.A. A good place if you look at someone who's starting off versus someone who's pretty experienced where Where does it make the most sense?
0: You know what uh, i I don't think it matters. Um, you know if if you're starting out here you for the most part, I think you have the same uh, options that you would have in the Bay Area because a lot of these companies are actually here. Right. Uh, so, you know, if if you wanna work for, you know, Facebook or Netflix or um Google and, and, and these larger powerhouses, you can. Um, but if you wanna work for a startup and, and start in, in that area also, you know, Silicon Beach has a plenty of startups that are happening. So it, it's I think it's more of a question of try to figuring out what you really want and mm-hmm. what, what it is that you wanna learn. You know, I can tell you that in, in my career, I, I've worked for large, large companies. Uh, I work for startups. I work for small companies, the growth companies. And uh, I know what my sweet spot is and I know what I like to be doing. You mm-hmm. know, I enjoy taking a, a team of like, you know, uh, 10 or 20 and, and growing that to 150, 200 engineers. Right. Right. And making that work. I have no desire to lead a engineering or tech company organization of like thousand people or 2000 people. Right. Those are different type of problems that need to be solved. Right. Um, You know, I, I like being still heads on and just kind of down in the trenches.
1: Okay. Um, Cool. Uh, When is it time to say quits? Not like, let's say like per job but per the project or like an initiative that you're working on where you're collaborating with, with uh, people together.
0: Right. Um, so I, I think it, it, it really comes down to making sure that you have a well-defined outcome for everything that you do. Um,
1: right.
0: When I see a lot of spend, both in, in personal lives or, or spend in terms of projects or, or engineering is if you have a very squishy target, um, that tends to cause the spin because um, you really don't truly know what you're after, right. So having making sure that whatever you do, you have a very clear outcome in place and and you kind of check against that is key. Mm-hmm. Um, because that allows you then to assess them and, and kind of do that you know risk reward type of analysis and 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 you know hey i've been banging my head against the wall and and we got to a certain point and you know is the juice still worth the squeeze so to speak right Right? uh and and without having a clear outcome in mind it's it's difficult
1: okay what kind of music do you listen to both at home or when you're working oh man (laughs) uh so i am uh
0: I'm equal opportunity kind of a guy, so so I, I tend to listen to a lot of different things. Um, you know, there are days where, you know, I would have some EDM track on uh and get off on that, but there are some days where I would just listen to uh maybe some, you know, elevator jazz or whatever. It it, it really depends. It's kind of funny. This is you know, there are some people who are very um, you know very religious about the types of music and and mm-hmm. and that's you know i'm i'm a kind of equal opportunity there okay depends on the mood
1: good are you currently hiring for any open positions
0: oh man we've got i think like fifteen positions opened um we we're hiring for our mobile engineering team we're hiring on the back end we're hiring data engineers and data scientists. Uh, we are hiring uh, Agile facilitators and, and you know, the, the, the reality is that, you know, the team is still growing. Uh, we've got, like I mentioned, we've got nine delivery teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's around, uh, you know, 80, 90 people. Uh, everyone is geographically distributed, but, uh, you know, 60, 70% of my team is either in uh, former Eastern Europe or Argentina or in Mexico um over the next 2 3 years i would like to change that ratio and 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 have maybe 60 70% of engineers here uh in the us it's it's a little bit easier to kind of manage the teams
1: what are the the kinds of challenges that you face when you're managing a, a team that's distributed like that
0: well the the biggest thing i think is the um uh you know obviously the cultural differences so so being aware of that uh, I think um, people underestimate the the, the churn and, and difficulties that come from uh, not being in the same office. Um, uh, but here's the thing. I mean uh, you know you can definitely uh, have very high performing geographically distributed team if you're doing the right thing. So I can tell you one of our highest performing teams, um, is uh, actually collocated in in five different countries Wow, we 've got uh, you know guys in Poland and Croatia and argentina and u s and Mexico, and they all come together and they totally kick ass right but um, you know they they are truly an agile team i mean they they 're determined together their working hours and they shifted the hours accordingly um, and they are very very successful. Um, Having said that, though, you know, you got to give them the tools to be able to do the job, right? Mm -hmm. So um, having good teleconferencing system, making sure that you've got constant uh, telepresence and streaming video from different locations to bring people together, um, you know, making sure that you have the right tools in place to allow the remote pairing and code reviews, all that stuff. You got to make sure that all these things are in place to reduce the friction.
1: Perfect. Um, any final notes that you want to uh you want to say uh notes
0: um ah, not really i i think it's uh it's been great uh looking back uh, when i joined grinder i i definitely did not expect uh uh various different turns and twists that happened over the next uh four years um but I can tell you that uh, you know, as a company, um, we've matured a lot, and, and now, you know, there's this next chapter beginning for us, where you know we are driving towards that uh, 10 million DAU mark over the next uh, two three years, right? And that's gonna come from uh, all the marketing efforts and, and organic growth, and we're gonna be focusing, uh, you know, on specific markets. Uh, their growth markets for us and, and maybe doing very specific market studies to start developing features that are targeting just those markets, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this
1: is going to be very exciting for us. What is it going to take in order to, get, to grow from three to 10? That's a huge number. Yeah. Huge so, leap.
0: Uh, I mean, so, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to take um, several different things. So, you know, uh, I mean, as a company right now, we, we are uh, diversifying. So, you know, uh, four years ago, Grindr was just, just one app. Now we have, uh, you know, um, multiple apps in the app store, and uh, one is the, our Corab, the other one is is our Gameoji, uh, which is our play to kind of get into content and and multi app ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also launched uh, Into Magazine, which is uh, essentially our content play, and and uh, you know we we are now publishing around ten to twelve articles per day, which are very high. Uh, high fidelity, high value type of content. Cool. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we are going to be going after lifestyle features. So, you know, Grindr, uh, Grindr will be that app that uh, a gay man uses for everything, hopefully, in mm-hmm. the next uh, uh, two, three years. Uh, not only to meet people, but also to uh, go to places, discover places, um, you know, use for travel, Uh, maybe uh, e-commerce, content, um, you know, all these different verticals are going to come together and and, uh, generate that sort of traffic.
1: Nice. Uh, What can we expect
0: in the next year? Uh, I think next year, um, there's going to be more uh, features that are driven by our data science. Um, So, you know, we've been uh, investing heavily in our data science and data innovation team, and uh, you know, you will you will start seeing uh, you will start seeing features that are driven by user behavior. Uh, that are driven by you know geolocation and what's going on in various different uh, areas of the world so we'll be we'll be bringing all that stuff together to power these these more advanced and smart type of features mm-hmm. um, and that's for the purpose of essentially you know bringing the right services bringing the right content uh, bringing the right places to our users based on their preferences and behavior. Um, that we want to discover in a passive way. So, I, I don't want to be pestered people with questionnaires and all whatever. I mean, um, perfect use cases like, you know, I, I know that, uh, you know, as a user, you, you may be going to, uh, you know, sushi restaurants or you may be working out at Equinox as opposed to some other gym, you mm-hmm. know. So, 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 the very interesting question is like, you know, uh, how can I use that information to provide better service, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and there's some unique opportunities there in terms of recommendations engine or, or uh, recommendations for content or travel. Um, right. It's, it's going to be pretty cool.
1: Nice. Yeah. Cool. All right, Lucas CTO Grinder. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. This has been great. All right. Uh, in the show notes, we'll put a link to the uh, careers. Uh, yes. A few notes on the on the books as well. Perfect. And music. Uh, cool. Thanks so much. Awesome. Take care. All right. Bye. thanks so much for listening your feedback is really important to us we really want to learn how we can make it better let us know who you want to listen to if there's certain questions you want us to ask please reach out to us on all the socials you can find us at the Devive Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook feel free to email me directly at Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N at devive.io that's devive D-E-V-I-B-E dot I-O thanks again